This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. It is so great to be with you this morning. It's hard to believe the week is near an end, but uh, such is the nature of life and ministry. Uh, Ruth and I will be flying out this afternoon for Indianapolis. We begin uh, ministry at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning with our annual meeting at Baptist World. We'll be uh, interviewing uh, prospective candidates. Uh, We'll be there through Thursday morning and then head back to Alabama uh, for one day, and then I fly out for Alaska for a 10-day meeting up there. So uh, keep us in your prayers. Uh, It's one after another. Uh, We were joking with some of the missionaries. Ruth and I have been on deputation for 14 years. Uh, It's really not that, but we do what the deputies do. We stay on the road. So we covet your prayers. Let's take our Bibles and go this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As you're turning, I want to thank you for the wonderful week, for the food, the lodging, the fellowship, but most of all for your response to the Word of God. And really the measure of this week will be what happens after this week is over. Uh, If we obey the commands of declaring his glory to the nations, both by giving the gospel and also by supporting faith promise missions. So uh, thank you for your response, and we're looking forward to hearing good things about what God continues to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to read verses 1 through 5 and introduce what I've called today the cost of declaring his glory. The cost of declaring his glory. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or take note of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Let's pray as we open this scripture. Father, I pray this morning that you will take your word and use it in our hearts. Father, help us to be willing to pay the price of the cost of declaring his glory. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Corinthians 8.1 begins the second major section of Paul's epistle. He's been dealing with problems. He has been dealing with his own commendation of his apostleship. And now he begins a section talking about the grace of God. And any time we look at the scripture, we understand that there are word meanings, and word meanings are important, but word meanings must always be interpreted in the context of the passage. So Paul does a little bit of a play on words in this passage. He talks about the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And we might define the use of that word grace uh, relating to those people as divine enablement. You see, the Corinthians had been challenged by Paul to take up an offering for the needy saints of Jerusalem who were suffering persecution. There had been a famine, and and there was a great need in the church at Jerusalem. And a year before the Corinthians had promised, they, they put their thumbs in their lapels, and they stepped up and said, we're going to do a really great thing in taking up an offering for the believers at Jerusalem. 
but quarreling and divisiveness had hindered that. And so far, it's one year and there has been no offering. So Paul says to the Corinthians, let me have you take note. Uh, the old English says to take wit or to wit of the grace of God. Pay attention to the divine enablement given to the Macedonians. Those churches to the north of Corinth and that what might be viewed as a more, a more primitive region, how in their deep poverty they have given abundantly. So Paul is emphasizing challenging the Corinthians by the divine enablement given to the Macedonian believers. You know, it's interesting as Paul talks about this giving, this, this gift, this divine enablement, he uses one of six words uh, in the New Testament translated to give or offerings. And this particular one is the Greek word logia, which indicates it was a free will offering. So Paul is not talking about the Corinthians tithing. He's not talking about the Macedonians tithing. Certainly Paul taught the churches that the tithe was an Old Testament annual tax on the people of God. And New Testament believers should go beyond the tithe in their giving. Certainly, I have no doubt that Paul taught about that. He was often speaking in the synagogues when he established churches. But here he's talking about free will gifts. We might call it faith promise giving. Where the people are to pray about what God would have them to do and they are to have a gathering for the needy saints at Jerusalem. And he says to the Corinthians, you need divine enablement. You need the grace of God, just like the Macedonians have had. And so today I want to challenge you that to pay the price of the high cost of declaring his glory, we need divine enablement. We need the grace of God. So let's look at this story of the grace of God in this passage. Number one, I want you to see that Paul challenges the Corinthians to give based on a model of human example, and that is the church at Macedonia. We find in verses 1 and 2 that their giving was sacrificial. Now, we don't know what the circumstances were of their poverty, but something had happened to those churches in Macedonia uh, where Paul had ministered and, and won people to Christ and planted churches where he had suffered uh, stoning uh, and left for dead. All that Paul had done in those wonderful churches in Macedonia, something severe had happened to them. Maybe an economic downturn. Maybe persecution. Maybe what we're hearing like in Poland that happens to believers when people turn to the faith. But in their deep poverty, they gave a sacrificial gift for the work of God. I read a true story about an evangelist who was traveling in uh, Korea, and he was with a missionary there, and they were, they were driving through the country, and uh, he saw a, a unique picture that he took with his camera. It was a young man pulling a plow, and on the handles of the plow was an old man directing the plow. And he said, my, he said to the missionary, my, what an interesting picture. And the missionary said, yes, it is. And uh, the evangelist asked him, said, tell me about these people. He said, well, they're Christians. And last year they had a need with their church building. And those two men, father and son, sold their ox to provide for the needs of the church building. 
And the evangelist had his heart smitten because he realized that so much of his giving to God had not involved sacrifice. So he went back to his home church and told his pastor, I want to double my giving and do some plow work. Up until now, I have done little for God that required real sacrifice. Dr. J.H. Jowett once said, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. We need the grace of God. We need to have sacrificial giving like the Macedonians. Secondly, notice their giving was spontaneous. And by that I don't mean that they gave emotionally on uh, the spur of the moment because of Paul's uh, putting pressure on them. Not at all. Rather, notice in verses 3 and 4, it says that for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul is saying that these Macedonians did not give because of external pressure. Folks, if you think that your faith promise program is some kind of pressure upon you to give, then don't give because that would be wrong. But rather, it is the result of internal prompting of the Spirit of God where the Spirit of God speaks to your heart about a free will offering, and you do like the Macedonians. You give willingly of yourselves. You pray your pastor with much entreaty to take the offering because you've first given yourself to the Lord. Spontaneous giving should never be careless, but giving that is prompted by the Spirit of God and guided by the Word of God. These folks gave spontaneously with joy. And then thirdly, this model, their giving was spiritual. And we find that in verse 5. It says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now what is spiritual giving? Spiritual giving is when the giving is dedicated to God for the good of others. Because that is the total teaching of the New Testament. Uh, the comments in the Believer's Study Bible on this passage are right on target. It says, if one gives himself to God, he will never have any difficulty with the tithe and the offering if you've given yourself to God. So we see that Paul's challenge was modeled upon a people who gave sacrificially, who gave spontaneously, and they gave spiritually. These people had the right motives of paying the price of declaring the cost of God's glory. And we must be the same. We need the grace of God. And then notice in verse 9, Paul's challenge then moves to an illustration magnified by the Savior's sacrifice because he brings the point of the illustration of the Macedonians giving to the giving of the Lord Jesus. He says, for we know, ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Here we have a very clear illustration of how a word that is translated the same in a different context has a slightly different meaning. 
In verse 1, Paul talks about the grace of God bestowed upon the Macedonians. That was divine enablement. The Macedonians, like us, needed divine enablement because we can't do it without God's grace. But in verse 9, Christ did not need grace because he is the source of grace. So this word in verse 9 literally means gift, and so we can translate this, for you know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ to you. It's not talking about Christ getting divine enablement. It's talking about what he did for you should be a a, a motivation for you to find divine enablement in giving. So Christ's sacrifice for us is magnified and should be the example. And it's interesting, uh, commentators have paralleled Christ giving with the giving of the Macedonians. Number one, Christ giving was sacrificial. It was sacrificial. Look at the verse 9. It says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That word became doesn't refer to Christ coming lowly in a manger. You know, when we talk about Christ's incarnation and his condescension, we emphasize sometimes that he was born in a manger bed. He was, he was in a stable. He was, he was, his, his human parents were impoverished. And that is his lowliness in coming. But that is not the meaning that Paul is giving here. Commentators are agreed that Paul is talking about Christ becoming man. And folks, if Jesus had been born in the greatest mansion on this planet, it would still have been condescension in him becoming a man. Think about it. He was rich in power in heaven, but he gave up the free expression of that power. He was rich in glory, but he laid aside the external expression of that glory, except as we saw this week on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was rich in wisdom, yet he had to learn as a child. He was rich in wealth, yet he came to be a man. Paul never got over God becoming a man so that he could die for us, and we should never get over it. Christ's coming, Christ's giving was sacrificial. Christ's giving was spontaneous. No one made Christ die on the cross. Yes, they killed him, but the Bible is clear that he laid down his life willingly. As a matter of fact, in the first gospel message after Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter answers the question about Christ's coming. It says that by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he came and died. What does that mean? In eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit determined there would be no other way of salvation except the shedding of the innocent Lamb of God's blood for our sins. So Jesus came willingly. No man made him come. The Father didn't pressure him into it. He willingly gave himself for us that we might be saved. And how we should be thankful and how we should seek his grace to give our lives back to him. Christ's giving was spiritual. What do I mean by that? Again, the same thing with the Macedonians. It was giving done out of a heart of love for the glory of God and the good of others. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Dr. Thomas Lambie was a Presbyterian missionary to Ethiopia. 
he knew the Lord, loved the Lord, and he loved the Ethiopian people. And this, was, this goes back many years. But he was serving there in Ethiopia, and they needed a building for the clinic where he had a hospital. And uh, he had no funds for that personally. Uh, so he went back to the United States, and he raised f- funds for that clinic. But when he came back, the Ethiopian government said to him, you cannot buy the land for this clinic because only Ethiopians can own land in Ethiopia. So Dr. Thomas Lambie renounced his American citizenship and became a naturalized Ethiopian so he could help the poor people of Ethiopia among whom he was serving. Now, folks, I don't know if I would do that. But God gave grace to Thomas Lambie to do that. But Jesus didn't need grace. He is grace. And he left the glories of heaven that we might be saved. He gave up all for us. And therefore, Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for my sake, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So Corinthians, give back to him by grace. Good News Baptist Church, give back to him by grace. The gospel song says it well. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Take note of the grace of God bestowed upon the Macedonians. Glory in the grace of Christ to us and give for the glory of God. Now let me pause before we get to our third and final point and say that if you have never received that grace from Christ for salvation, let me remind you what the gospel is. Peter, on Acts chapter 2, preached the first gospel message after the resurrection of Christ, after Pentecost, and he gave four points. He talked about the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. And dear friend, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, Christ said you're yet in your sins. That's the beginning point. We believe that Peter in that passage very rightly was preaching the death of Christ for our sins upon the cross, the shedding of the blood for the sins of the world. Christ is God. He died for you. He shed his blood. The innocent dying in the place of the guilty. He paid your price so that you could be saved. The third point Peter makes is the glorious bodily resurrection of Christ. Christ conquered our sin, our death, and our hell, and he rose bodily to prove that he is God and to prove that he could save sinners. And number four, Peter preached the exaltation of Christ at the right hand of the Father. Peter said that God has made him Lord in Christ. What does that mean? It is a Jewish phrase referring to Christ becoming the supreme judge of the universe. Paul would say it this way, Wherefore also God God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, the gospel is that he's God, that he died for you, he rose again, and he is your judge. And if you'll receive him as your Savior, he'll forgive all of your sins and you'll never have to go to hell. But if you don't receive him, he will be your judge 
and he will cast you into the lake of fire for all eternity. Oh, how we need to do business with this one who came and by grace gave himself for us. But then thirdly, we're talking about the cost of declaring his glory. We see the the model, the human example of the Macedonians who needed divine enablement. We see the picture of Christ who gave us that grace. And then thirdly, Paul challenges the Corinthians for their giving to be materialized in obedience. Because we find in verses 10 through 15, he says, And herein I give my advice. He says, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. Now, let me stop there. Uh, I just want you to know, up front for accountability, I threw away all of my Nike gear because I don't like Nike as a company. Okay, maybe you do and you're fine with that, but, but when Colin Kaepernick came out uh, with his very woke emphasis and he became their champion, I got rid of all of my Nike stuff. So that proviso, I want to use an illustration. Nike has a slogan, which they've used for years, and it is this, just do it. Just do it. That is exactly what Paul is saying in verse 11. You've, you've taken note of the, the Corinthians. You've taken note of the giving of the Macedonians by grace. You, you've, you've meditated on what Christ did in coming. Now look, just do it. Give to the work of God. So I would say to you with your faith promise this week, just do it by the grace of God. Not by pressure. It needs to be spontaneous. You need to seek God, but just do it. And what that tells us is these Corinthians were to perform their giving with integrity. In other words, the Corinthians had made the promise, now just do it. And if you have sought the Lord and you have made your commitment by the grace of God, you pray and just do it. It's called integrity. So they were to perform their giving with integrity. Number two, they were to perform it with simplicity. Verse 12, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according that he hath not. In other words, very simply, they were to give because Christ gave. The test of our stewardship is always if there is a willing mind because of what Christ did. And then in closing, they were to perform their giving with equality. And I really like this, and we'll be done in about five minutes. Look at verses 13 and 14. For I mean not that the other men be eased and ye burdened. He's writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, you know, I I don't want uh, other people to uh, not have to give, and you bear all the burden of the giving, but rather by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want And their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Barnes notes on this commentary, makes commentary on this passage. This is what Paul is saying, quote, Probably the Corinthians were able to contribute more than most other churches, certainly more than the churches of Macedonia. And therefore, Paul presses upon them the duty of giving according to their means. Yet he by no means intended that the entire burden should come to them. The principle of equality in giving. 
In this church, there are people who can give a lot to the work of God. And in this church, there are people who can humanly give very little to the work of God. Perhaps the widow's might would be a good illustration of that. So who is to give? Is the widow accepted from giving and, and she doesn't have to give because she has so little? And is all the burden to be on the person who, who has money to give? No, Paul says, let there be an equality. Can I say it this way? Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Can I say it again? Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. For some of you, you could give a lot to the work of God and you would never miss it. No, equal sacrifice. And dear widow, don't feel guilty over putting your might in the offering when you know that others give so much more because Christ commended the widow for her might. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So let's do a little inventory before we conclude here with our closing illustration. Would you put your faith promise giving on the level of equal sacrifice with what others do in this church? You know, maybe there's someone here today that the whole purpose of this message was God wanted to stab them in the heart with the fact that they've never really prayed They've never really sought the Lord. They've never really found divine enablement to give because they give out of their abundance, and that's easy to do. You need to just do it. You need to give not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. He gives us an illustration in verse, six, uh, verse uh, 15, which makes it clear. He says, as it is written, okay, he's going back to the Old Testament, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. He's talking about the gathering of the manna. You remember when the children of Israel were commanded to go out and gather manna, they were prescribed a certain amount uh, for their family's needs, and they were not to hoard it up. They were to have the certain prescribed amount. And the person who went out and in greed gathered more and hoarded it up the next day, guess what happened? It bred worms and stank, the King James says, because those people in disobedience to God had been greedy. They had not been obedient. But on the other hand, the guy who goes out and he estimates the amount of food needed for his family and he works within the prescribed amount and he gathers it and he gets home and the wife says, oh, you forgot, we got my mother here with us. And he says, oh, boy, what? Then that manna was multiplied by God. So they had no lack in that home. The issue was gathering in obedience and faith. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And so God is saying through Paul, if you live your life to hoard up things, God has a way, Haggai chapter 1, of putting holes in your pockets so that those things will fall right through. But if you give to God in obedience to him and maybe, maybe you make a mistake in gathering the manna, that's okay. God will take care of those who give biblically out of a heart of love for him. He will put that back in your pockets. Now, folks, this is not the Pentecostal message of health and wealth. That has nothing to do with it. It is a biblical principle of giving back to God 
by grace. You've heard the phrase, faith promise. Haven't you heard that phrase before? What is faith's promise? What is faith's promise? It is that God will supply your need when you give in obedience to God. That's faith's promise. Paul talked about it in Philippians. You were the only ones who communicated with me, but my God shall supply all of your needs. So folks, you need to make sure what God wants you to do and you need to obey him and just do it and lay hold of him by faith through grace. Get divine enablement. And then put your card in the plate and with integrity and character follow through by the grace of God. That's the cost of declaring his glory. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, I pray that no one would go from this place thinking that they've been pressured today. Father, we've simply attempted to reveal what your word has said to your church. Lord, I pray that you do a work. I pray that this church would uh, go beyond their goal, Father, that you would use good news to boldly declare his glory to all the nations in amazing ways that even they haven't dreamed of. Lord, do a great work by your grace in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.